The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World... Remember all the talk of the blue wave, a Democratic landslide? Well, House Republicans defied that expectation last week by blocking efforts to expand a Democratic majority. And many are crediting female candidates as the House GOP is set to add a record 13 women to its ranks. This was the year for the GOP women. Last week was a historic election for women, especially in our U.S. House of Representatives. A record number of women now taking the seats come January. Right here in South Carolina, I was the first Republican woman ever elected to Congress. Michelle Steele says people weren't voting for a person, but an idea. She becomes the first Korean immigrant elected to Congress in California. I think that's what it really came down to, hard work and a lot of miles on the mob van. <laughs> Hi, this is new. Due to the virus, I'm recording from home. So you may notice a difference in audio quality. Voters are looking for a new generation of leaders, and no one represents the new Republican Guard better than Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. She began running for Congress when she was 28 years old. She was elected to Congress at the age of 30, the youngest Republican woman ever elected. She has been representing New York's 21st Congressional District since 2015. Congresswoman Stefanik is the founder of EPAC, whose mission is to increase the number of Republican women serving in the U.S. House by supporting top Republican female candidates in the primaries. And in this election cycle, she worked to get 18 Republican women elected to Congress. I'm pleased to welcome my guest, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. (laughs) 
I'd like to welcome my guest, a remarkable woman who has shown just tremendous leadership talent. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik represents New York's 21st Congressional District. She is the founder of EPAC, which she's going to talk about. And what she achieved this year was historic. She set out to recruit and elect women, which has always been, frankly, one of the weaknesses of the House Republican Party. And she, I think, had an enormous breakthrough, which I am confident she is going to build on. When she was first elected in 2014, she was the youngest woman ever elected to Congress at that time, and the youngest Republican woman elected in the history of the House. She's had a remarkable career already, and while helping change history this year, she also defeated her Democratic opponent 60-40 in her own district. So she's great talent. And I want to start just by thanking you with your extraordinarily busy schedule for being willing to talk about what you've achieved and the lessons that all of us should learn from that. So at least thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much, Newt. It's truly an honor. And I'm looking forward to highlighting these amazing Republican women who will be sworn into office in January. Let's start by talking about one particular amazing Republican woman, namely you. Talk about how you got involved in politics at such an early age and how you made some key decisions that got you to the Congress. Well, I grew up in not a political family, but I grew up in a very civic-minded family. My parents started and still run a small business. It's a plywood wholesale distribution company, and they started it when I was seven years old. So as any small business family knows, it's hard work and it's 24-7. So I grew up kind of at the kitchen table hearing from my parents about how policies impact the business's daily lives, our daily lives. I also really had the benefit of parents who were invested in education. They were invested in providing my brother and I with a better future than they had. They're both from big Catholic families. My mom is the middle of nine children. My dad is the youngest of eight. And neither of them had the opportunity to graduate from college. They were you know, too busy going to work after they graduated to help support their families and then, of course, start their own families. So they were very focused on giving giving me greater educational opportunities. And I had great teachers, great parents who really encouraged my interest in the news and current events and in public policy. I ended up going to Harvard for undergrad. And I think it really helped me further develop my belief in conservative principles because I was such a minority on the undergraduate campus in terms of my political beliefs. I had an amazing time uh, at Harvard. And then after I graduated, I served in the Bush administration in the White House for the Domestic Policy Council and the Chief of Staff's office. So I think I got involved mainly in college, volunteering on campaigns. But I've always wanted to have a positive impact on my community going back to when I was in middle school and high school. I was involved in student council. And that, I think, is what led me to eventually want to run for office. I ran for office in 2014. My district in New York's North Country, it had been previously held by a Democrat. And not many people thought I would win. I was 28 years old when I started the process of running. And I ended up 
winning a competitive primary and a general election by over 20 points in a swing district and flipping it to help us add a Republican seat. And I've been honored to earn a significant margin since then because of my focus on results for my district. But I really credit my parents with raising me with strong values, with a very strong work ethic, but also with big aspirations and helping me develop the confidence to take a step that's as big as running for Congress. I'm really fascinated because I remember your primary. You were the underdog in the early stages of that primary and just, I think, by hard work and frankly, brilliance, you just steadily pulled ahead. And I remember at the time, more and more people paying attention to you. And when you got to Congress, I mean, you're on some pretty significant committees between armed services, education and labor, and the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. So just your official policy role has to require a pretty full schedule. Absolutely. It is a very full schedule, but you're right, Newt, about my first primary. I was definitely the underdog. And the NRCC, which I'm a big supporter of now, and was then in the general election, but I was not the recruited or chosen candidate. There was a different candidate who had run previously and lost, and I was untested because I was a first-time candidate and just so young. But what I found, and I still find this today, is voters, and this is across party lines, are yearning for new ideas and a new generation of leadership. They are yearning for a fresh approach. So what many thought was my biggest weakness was my age, I really turned that into a strength as, you know, you need someone with energy, you want someone with that new generational approach, you want a tireless advocate who is a fighter on behalf of your district, and it was sheer hard work, it was doing small grassroots events across the district, I improved so much as a candidate, you know, when you're out there all the time speaking to groups, whether it's three people or a hundred people, and by the time we were on the ballot for the general election, I had just outworked both in the primary and the general, my opponents. And I really think I tried to focus on hitting the ground running as soon as I was elected. I knew there were expectations because there was a little bit of media coverage since I was the youngest woman ever elected. And I really tried to be a legislative workhorse for my district. On the Armed Services Committee, that's an incredibly important committee. We passed the National Defense Authorization Act, the important defense bill that authorizes all of our military programs every year. We will have that bill on the floor next week. It's a bipartisan bill. And for my district, I represent Fort Drum, home of the 10th Mountain Division, the most deployed unit in the U.S. Army. And I'm very focused on making sure that those military families have the resources they need. I also serve on education and workforce. And as we think about challenges of the 21st century, and even today as we're working to overcome the COVID pandemic, education and workforce issues are at the forefront of a growing economy, but also of making sure our kids are safely learning in school. That's so important to me, particularly rural regions that I represent, but also suburban and urban regions. They have different challenges, but we want to give every kid in this country an opportunity to have the best education possible and not be determined by their zip code. And then, of course, the Intelligence Committee, which does very important work. It's historically a very bipartisan committee that has changed since the Democrats have turned it into the Impeachment Committee. But it was a really interesting term for me because the impeachment proceedings were so high profile at a national level. 
there was just a huge amount of media coverage. And in many ways, those hearings introduced a little bit about me to America. And that is actually very much tied into my ability to support women candidates because it helped me develop just a huge national email list that I was able to use to support these amazing candidates who were running for office. I'm curious in a sense, because I know Schiff, the Democratic chairman, who was extraordinarily partisan, treated you at times almost with contempt. From the standpoint of the Republican base, was being polarized against Schiff actually an advantage to you? I approached the entire impeachment proceedings from a constitutional perspective, really focusing on the facts. And it was very eye-opening for me to see how truly political and partisan Adam Schiff was from start to finish in those proceedings. They completely had partisan rules that governed the impeachment hearings that were very unprecedented. And like other members, I questioned those rules. And what was interesting for me is I was just smeared in a very different way than my male colleagues, the viciousness attacking conservative women. And you can ask the women that I serve with who are Republicans, it's a different level of viciousness when the media and the far left, particularly Hollywood D-listers attack. But the Republicans across this country, and not just Republicans, but independent voters, people who really saw through the impeachment proceedings, my work, both calling into question how partisanship was, but also really cutting through the clutter and focusing on the facts, that really resonated with people who were tuning into these proceedings. And it was a benefit in terms of raising the profile of my district. My district voters are so proud of the work that I did standing up for my voters in the district and the American people. But it was a net gain, I think, among Republicans for me to develop that email list and a donor base, frankly, because in two days, my no-name Democratic opponent, who I beat in the midterms in 2018, she raised $2 million because Democrats just wanted to attack me. And we fought back, we outraised her, and I'm very grateful for all of the amazing patriots across this country who stepped up to help me fight back. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. 
But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If I remember correctly, you were actually at Harvard with Mark Zuckerberg. I was. I was in his class. What was that like? Well, it's very interesting because we lived the founding of Facebook. It was founded my sophomore year of college, and I knew Mark. We were not good friends, but his freshman roommate ended up being one of my best friends in college, who I still keep in touch with today. You know, I remember when it started off as Face Smash, where it was kind of a game that you would play, and, and there were internal issues at Harvard about how each different dorm would have a different online Facebook I have a vivid memory that the spring before sophomore year summer, Mark was recruiting interns to go out to California with him. And I remember kind of walking by his little session and I thought to myself, oh, that's interesting. I wonder who's going to go out to California with Mark. And I didn't skip my class. I ended up going to my class like a good student. And those kids that went out with Mark, they're now, you know, just incredibly successful and wealthy founders. But I think Facebook is going to have a real challenge over the next few years. I know it from the perspective of when it started up and how it really connected college students on college campuses using technology. But Facebook will have very, very thorny issues 
some of the targeting of conservatives, suppression of conservative voices, that is going to be one of the key challenges that these tech companies face. And I think many of grassroots and the American people have exposed how biased they can be. Facebook in particular, I think President Trump deserves a lot of credit for understanding how to effectively target voters in new ways using Facebook and really leapfrogged Democrats in the 2016 election cycle. And because Republicans were so successful, there's been so much pressure from the left on these tech companies to limit our ability to get our message out to voters in new ways. And those platforms are important to be fair because there's so much bias in the mainstream media. I believe it's important to reach voters directly, and technology is a way that you're able to do that. Coming out of Harvard, being aware of Zuckerberg, have you been, do you think, more attuned to using social media than many of your colleagues? Well, it's interesting. When I first ran for office, I was the first candidate to sign my paperwork on Instagram, and it didn't get a lot of media coverage then, but it's an interesting historical fact that was in the really early days of Instagram. And we used Facebook effectively, I think, to really get out the message, because especially as a first-time candidate, you know, we weren't on TV ads until very late in the election cycle and had to get the word out. When I announced, I'll never forget this, my husband was in a volunteer capacity. It was exciting for us. He was my boyfriend then. When I sent out the press release announcing and I had put in so much work ahead of time, sent out the announcement and it was sort of a waiting game because we just sent out a press release and we got a Facebook message into the Elise for Congress account and it was a roofing company. And it said, oh, this is so exciting. I would love to meet you. <laughs> we said, well, we're on the way to the company. We'll come visit you today. And he is one of my strongest voters to this day. Without Facebook, that would have never been able to be possible for voters to reach out directly to candidates. And it helped us put together a very strong grassroots campaign team in new ways. Did you find social media helpful as you reached out to grow a new generation of women members? Yes, it was very helpful. It was also very helpful during the impeachment fight, just politically for me, because that was so high profile and because Democrats just put so much money supporting my opponent. It helped us really expand my reach and my ability to build a coalition to fight back to that deluge of Democratic dollars. And it also ensured that the candidates that I was supporting through EPAC, we were able to get that message out. And one of the aspects that's unique about EPAC is we don't just support every Republican woman. We look for the strongest Republican women based upon the metrics they're meeting, similar to the NRCC's Young Guns program. So we want them to be able to demonstrate they can raise that initial seed money hoping that their goal is over $250,000 in the first quarter. The reason why that's important is it shows they have the ability to grow into a strong candidate. We do ask them, what is your social media strategy? What is your digital strategy? As well as your overall campaign strategy, what is your path to victory? Have you done a deep dive of the voting data in the district? The reason why those conversations are important and those metrics are important is we want to help the candidates develop into top tier candidates who are prepared to win and grow into the general election. So the media and the online digital outreach is an important part of that. So when did you decide to create EPAC? I decided to create EPAC really after the midterms in 2018. 
In 2018, it was the first time in our nation's history that over 100 women were serving in the United States Congress. And that's an amazing fact. But what was very troubling is only 13 of those women were Republican. So there was definitely a challenge. And that number of 13 women that was the same number we were in in the 1980s. And I know, Newt, when you had the contract with America and were speaker, you had a particular focus on recruiting and supporting best candidates who were Republican women. And I believed we needed to have a strategy to do that and to be more reflective of our voters and the American people. This is not the identity politics of the left. This is making sure that we have diverse candidates by identifying who the best candidates are that come from different backgrounds. And what also happened for me is, as you know, Newt, whenever there's a newly elected class, when you get together after the election as Republicans, they announce all the new members and the new members get to go to the front of the room. Well, in 2018, our class, when they lined them all up, there was only one woman, Carol Miller from West Virginia. And it was just so stark to me. We lost a number of talented women like Mia Love from Utah, Mimi Walters from California, Barbara Comstock from Virginia during the blue wave in 2018. So I made it my mission to focus on my EPAC, investing and really supporting Republican women in the primaries and general election. And I was amazed at the response we had to have that public call to action. First of all, I credit Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise for embracing it early, and also Tom Emmer for coming on board despite initial skepticism. And this was a real team effort. But the women across this country answered this call, and they raised their hands, stepped into the arena, and ran for office. And many of them you know, reached out immediately in January or February two years ago because they were so upset that the only focus it seemed to be in the media was the squad, that the squad, the far left, high profile Democratic women were reflective of women across the country. We know that's not the case. And they wanted to make sure that they were standing up for their districts and their values. Now, as I understand it, EPAC has raised and donated over a million dollars in hard money directly to the candidates. How much did that help at giving you weight and substance in going out and recruiting and training candidates? Well, our EPAC endorsement, candidates wanted that. I mean, they worked very, very hard to earn that endorsement in the primary. And again, just to overlay the impeachment media coverage, it was a help for all these candidates in the primaries as well. Many of them face very competitive primaries. The hard dollar donations, any candidate will tell you the most important funding is the direct donations to your campaign and the early donations before the primary. So, yes, we have donated and bundled over a million dollars direct to candidates. And when I talked about that email list, Newt, I think what was really smart, and I give credit to my campaign team, is we kind of utilized the geographic diversity of the email list and would focus on different regions of the country where we had women running, and we would segment the list to communicate with them about that candidate to support them. And that bundling effort were small dollar donations for the candidates directly. So over a million dollars, I mean, that has surpassed even my greatest expectations when I launched EPAC. And we're going to build on that in 2022. This is a model that works. We will have 33 
women in the next Congress. And there are two races that are very, very close. Marionette Miller-Meeks, who's a veteran and a doctor from Iowa, her race was certified. And there's an upstate New York district just near mine, Claudia Tenney. We're working in her recount process and ensuring that the legal votes are counted and she's sworn into office. But we will be at 33, and I'm going to build on that in 2022. And what's amazing is the immediate coverage of the Year of the Republican Women, we have already heard from dozens of women candidates going into next cycle, which is very exciting. Now, somebody who's interested in listening to this can go to what, epac.com? Well, it's elevatepac.com. We're trying to elevate the voices of Republican women. They can Google EPAC. It will come right up. And they can also just go to my social media. I communicate about it all the time. My Twitter is just Elise Stefanik. But go to the website, elevatepac.com. And if you're a candidate, you can send in your information. We love hearing directly from candidates. That's how the process starts. I get on the phone multiple times with every candidate. And it's not just the fundraising. We really try to help mentor and help their campaigns as they have questions or as they're making decisions moving through the election. I also do teletown halls on their campaigns and host events for candidates. It's been a real pleasure and honor for me to get to know these amazing women. When we had the new class presented this year, Newt, I almost cried. I was so proud because I've worked so closely with all of these women candidates when they named these amazing candidates like Young Kim from California who flipped a district and who ran really for the past four years I've worked with her, both when she ran and then this past time when she finally won. I'm just so proud of all these women. And the credit goes to the women themselves, not to organizations like EPAC. We were proud to support, but these women showed such courage and they showed such determination and really ran amazing campaigns. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market. 
as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are there some key women that you think would be particularly interesting to citizens around the country? I know Young Kim and Michelle Steele, who are both Korean-American, played a huge role in beginning to regain Orange County for us. You elected a number of other really interesting people. Yes. Young Kim and Michelle Steele are amazing. They have amazing life stories, both Korean-Americans. This is the first time that there will be Korean-American women serving in Congress, so they have broken glass ceilings. And they're just energetic, positive, hardworking people. They're going to be great representatives for their districts. Another candidate I would highlight is Nancy Mace, who flipped a district back in South Carolina. She was the first female graduate of the Citadel. She has an incredible life story. She talks about from Waffle House to the People's House. She actually dropped out of high school and worked as a waitress at the Waffle House. And she talks about how she learned so much about hard work, about the importance of having good paying jobs during her time at the Waffle House. And I thought of Nancy when I read an interesting Wall Street Journal article, I think a couple months ago, about how the Waffle House model of workforce development is one of the strongest businesses in terms of developing their workforce, investing in their workforce than any other business in the country. So Nancy Mace is just incredible. She served at the state level and ran a really strong campaign. I also will highlight Nicole Maliotakis. She flipped our district in Staten Island. 
and Nicole served in the state assembly for a number of years. Her last name, listeners will know, it's Greek, but her family is of Cuban descent. So she's Greek-American and Cuban-American, a great counter to the far-left squad out of New York City. She's a strong supporter of our freedoms and our constitutional principles and very supportive of law enforcement, which was an important issue for voters on Staten Island. I also will highlight Ashley Hinson, who was a news anchor locally in Iowa. She just won a district four. She served at the state Senate. This was a very competitive district. She is going to be a rising star as well. She's a mom of two. She's just a little bit older than me, but she will bring that working mom perspective to Congress and is just a good Iowan in like the greatest of Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst. People are going to love Ashley Hinson. And these are just amazing, amazing stories. And as America learns more about these incredible women, which will also be part of the mission of EPAC, is telling their stories and really holding the media accountable for covering these women. As we recall, after the 2018 election cycle, the cover of Rolling Stone, the cover of Vanity Fair, features in Glamour Magazine and Vogue Magazine, they focus on the Democratic women, but they never want to tell the story of these amazing Republican women. And we're going to work to elevate those stories. If I remember correctly, is Victoria Sparts from Ukraine? She is. An interesting fact is we have four incoming Republican freshman members whose families are from behind the Iron Curtain. Victoria Sparks is one of those amazing stories. She was born in Ukraine, raised in Ukraine, and really understands how important it is to protect and preserve the American dream because her family worked so hard to come to America. She won a district in Indiana. She will be an exceptional member. She's another candidate that EPAC obviously supported and was proud to do so. But that perspective is so important as we are in really the fight of our generation between far left socialism versus protecting the American dream. And she speaks so passionately and from such personal, you know, nothing is more personal than your life story. And it's just a really important story that Americans hear. I saw a great line from her where she said, I have lived under socialism And let me explain why you shouldn't ever want to do that. And having a personal witness like that, I would think it would just be enormously helpful in the House. Absolutely. When Clinton won, two years later, we got 54 seats and took control of the House for the first time in 40 years. When Obama won, two years later, we got 63 seats. Boehner actually did better than I did. So I raised the question, if Biden does end up as president, What are the expectations at a minimum? I think it puts the likelihood of a Republican majority probably in the high 90, 95% range. Not that we're going to pick up necessarily 54 or 63 seats, although that'd be fun. This majority now is going to be what, about six seats? Yes, it's going to be a very slim majority for Speaker Pelosi if she even holds on to the Speaker's gavel. I think that's an open question. And really, the media, they've kind of brushed that under the rug. But she has real challenges ahead of her, both in getting the Speaker's vote and being able to just bring a bill to the floor. It's going to be very tough. That's the slimmest majority that any party has had going back to World War II. But I agree with you, Newt. I think 
if Biden is president, 2022 is going to be a huge red wave, a Republican year. Even looking at the 2020 elections we just went through, there was a massive disconnect and it's a growing chasm between the media, the pollsters and the American people and how they vote. I see it in my district every weekend when I'm home that the media, for example, in my race, they were treating it at the local level as if this was a competitive race that and I run every race like it's competitive, but we won by a huge margin and the media just refused to recognize the support for the Republican ticket, both for President Trump, myself and our state Republican candidates who are on the ballot. Going into 2022, I think you're going to see a real pushback on the voices of the far left on Democratic governors in terms of how they're managing COVID. We're already seeing that in New York, that there is very big pushback to Governor Cuomo, despite the glamorous coverage he's received in his latest Emmy. New Yorkers understand that it's been fundamentally failed leadership. So I think you will see a wave election and we're going to be in a very strong position, not just to win the majority and fire Nancy Pelosi, but win a big majority, much bigger than the majority that the Democrats have right now, which is very small. Candidate recruitment is key to make that happen. When you get on the phone in the next two, three months and somebody's sort of going, well, I'm not really sure. What's the summary you use to try to get people to look themselves in the mirror and decide they have to run? Well, I've already been on the phone, which is exciting. It's earlier than ever before that candidates are proactively reaching out because I think candidates from these communities across this country, from the congressional districts, they feel that what's happening on the ground among voters is different than the media is portraying. And I think we're going to have a lot of candidates that self-recruit, and those oftentimes are the best candidates because they have the fire in the belly and they're self-starters. But my closing argument is this is going to be one of the most exciting election cycles to run in. If you think about the issues that are at stake in this country, the fights that are likely to be had, whether it's moving towards a more socialized medicine, even if it's Medicare for all or Medicare public option, that's marching towards Medicare for all. If you think about the tax increases that the Biden campaign has proposed, if you think about both the rhetoric and policies and the bill that Pelosi brought to the fore to cut funding for law enforcement and defund the police, these are important fights for our generation. And you're going to make history. This is an important cycle to run in. And I also talk about how a lot of politics is about timing. And you want to run in a cycle that gives you the best opportunity to win. This is going to be the best opportunity, even in some of those reach districts that we you know, maybe haven't had on the map. I think we need to have strong candidates in those districts because we had some surprises this past November with Democrats that barely hung on from Sherry Bustos, who is chair of the DCCC. I think we ought to run a very strong candidate against her. And I hope Esther Joy King, who was the candidate against her, runs again because she brought it very close and I think will be focused on investing there in the future. So this is the right cycle to run and the issues are never going to be more important than they are today. I think I can reinforce your case on two grounds. One was, in my own case, I had to run three times. I lost twice because of the cycle we were in with Watergate and then as a Georgian with Jimmy Carter at the head of the Democratic ticket. So it, it took me five years to win and it was worth every day of it in terms of being able to serve the country. 
But in addition, when we broke through for the first time in 40 years with the contract with America in 1994, we ran somebody against all but three Democrats. We literally went out and said, we don't care how unlikely it is, we want to spread their defenses. And we also had a hunch that if we ran against all their committee chairs, that they would become hogs and they would keep all the resources out of fear so that their marginal members couldn't get any resources. And as a result, we beat the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, Danny Rostenkowski, in downtown Chicago. We beat the Speaker of the House in Spokane, Washington. We beat the chairman of the Judiciary Committee in Texas. You couldn't have predicted any of those three victories, but they were part of what happened. And I think your instinct is right. This is a country that understands that the gap between real life for most Americans who are deeply troubled by everything from COVID to shutdowns to economics to crime to the rise of China, the gap between their lives and what they get told by the left-wing media and by the bureaucrats is getting bigger and bigger. And I think you have a chance to be part of a generation that really has an extraordinary impact on American history. And your personal leadership is one of the things that I'm proudest of. And I just want you to know that I believe you've already helped change history. I believe in the next two years, what you're doing and what Elevate PAC is doing could be decisive in actually broadening the Republican Party, giving us a new generation of younger leaders and giving us an ability to reach out to people of all backgrounds in a way that historically has not been part of the classic Republican Party. I just, as a citizen, I want to thank you for the leadership you've shown and for your willingness to work so hard to represent your district, to serve on key committees in the Congress, and to grow a new generation of leaders around the country. I think, Elise, you're doing an amazing job. Well, thank you, Newt. I just want the listeners to know when I was that underdog candidate, Newt was so encouraging. And he has been encouraging throughout my time serving New York's 21st Congressional District. But even when I was a young staffer in D.C., I got to work with Newt when I was policy director of the platform for the RNC in 2012. And Newt, you just go out of your way to help encourage and mentor young up-and-comers. And I'm so grateful. And thank you so much for all you do for the American people and the American idea. You are one of the most energetic, innovative people in our country. And just know that we all look up to you so much. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to share a little bit about EPAC and the amazing women that the American people just elected. And I'm honored. Those are very kind words. Thank you to my guest, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. You can read more about Congresswoman Stefanik and EPAC on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Pendley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. Please email me with your questions at gingrich360.com questions. I'll answer a selection of questions in future episodes. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. 
When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.